All right. Uh, you are listening to Castles and Cryptids, where the castles are haunted and the cryptids are cryptic as fuck. And <laughs> I'm picking cat hair off my mic. Up at cat hair. <laughs> yeah, just uh, Gordo is here in spirit, even if he's not yeah. behind the laptop. If you're new here, Gordo is the cat. <laughs> the cat. The cat mascot. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's Kelsey's, and I'm Alana, <laughs> as always. <laughs> yeah, that would make me Kelsey, then. <laughs> Can you tell us apart? When people start new podcasts, it's hard for me sometimes. Yeah. But we do have a little bit of a different accent. <laughs> yeah, I think we do okay. <laughs> Welcome to where we unleash our worst Canadian accents. <laughs> hey. All right, it is episode 94. I am much more confident about that this week than last week. <laughs> I was like, it's this day. You're, you're like, no, no, that's today. This comes out yeah. next week. <laughs> And I left it all in. (laughs) Did you? I love it. It's beautiful. My confusion. I'm sorry. I think it's relatable. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully charmingly chaotic. (laughs) But I hope so, yeah. (laughs) Oh, you know, I gotta leave in some sometimes bloopers and stuff are funny. Somebody says a word wrong and then we just giggle about it. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of biff roasting <laughs> going yes. on last week. Did you tell Pat about the biff roast? I did. Just I think earlier I today. What did he and... have to say about biff roast? <laughs> well, he giggled, and I joked about how you know it's Frost. We could call you because his character name, um, and often his like handle on xbox whatever will be eric and frost like that's yeah. his go-to character names and i was like you could be eric and Frost. <laughs> and he was like well surprisingly when he plays the that new harry potter game harry potter oh, legend legacy or whatever it's called i think it's legacy, legacy. thank you yeah yeah you're right and he's like it pronounces it perfectly Ericin. I'm like, well, that's good because it shouldn't be that hard. It's literally like yeah. Eric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but names are hard, y'all. We all know that. Everyone's got a name they've been called before by accident. And yes. Whatever, so. <laughs> yeah. I get Elena, that kind of thing. Alana a lot, which is not really wrong, but <laughs> but a lot of people yeah. pronounce it. I get Alana. a lot of I get a lot of Chelsea's. I get. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the one I've heard most. For me, it's like spelling. People. Mm-hmm. Uh, like some people spell it I E at the end. I've seen. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then I've had somebody sp- try and spell it like the C, like S E A at the end. I was like. 
like the sea and like the ocean. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I feel like, like I have seen that. Yeah. yeah. That's different. Yeah, yeah, but pronunciations, like, other than <laughs> Chelsea, people normally will say my name right. It's, like, in spelling. You you see, they, like, K-E-L. And then it's, like, awkward pause. And you're, like, S-I-E. I think and I had a brain like, fart oh, where no. I almost... S-E-Y. It's S-E-Y. <laughs> like, I have, I do work with a Kelly. And I have a friend named Kelly. Uh-huh. So I think in my head the other day, I might have got it mixed up. And then I was, like... Oh, I think I almost said Kelly, but I was talking about you. <laughs> it's, like it's, it's close. Yeah. <laughs> but like I have those kind of senior moments where like transpose a word with another word or, but then I was like, oh my God, that's awful. I was like, cause then I'll make fun of my dad a little bit here. Um, who doesn't usually listen, but whatever. I would tell it to him. <laughs> he would be like, he sometimes spell my name. Alana with one N on like my birthday cards or something and I'd be like uh, two N's dad two N's <laughs> you named me and he's like well I work with Alana with one N so sometimes I just oh, see that more often yeah. and I just accidentally do it and I'm like okay that's <laughs> sure sure dad you're too young to be given these senior moments because he's always <laughs> made that mistake on occasion i'd be like oh my god dad <laughs> but it's just silly little grievances yeah <laughs> it doesn't really it's fine i don't have daddy issues <laughs> we're okay we called him, him dadu a lot of the time i don't know why dadu yeah <laughs> i don't know where it came from but Sometimes we just occasionally call him Eugene, too, so maybe that's a little less <laughs> cute. Yep, that's my pa, Eugene. Yeah, he likes um. all of our posts on Facebook. <laughs> that's right. Thank we you. talked about that. Yeah, oh. him and Pat are, like, the notorious. <laughs> I post something, and then, like, 20 minutes later, I go on, and I'm like, notification. I'm like, it's probably Pat and and Alana's dad like in the post and then I click on it it's like yep my supportive guys yeah. <laughs> um speaking of things we did mention last week when I was editing <clears throat> we were on some oh it wasn't really on a tv tangent you were talking about how the lindworm came up in voyage of the dawn treader and then oh were, yeah like, I think you you were talking, you were like, yeah, I, I, Prince Caspian or whatever. And then you said, I love Ben Barnes. And <laughs> and I was like, when I was editing, I was like, oh my God, I kind of just ignored her and talked about whatever else we were talking about. And you said it once or twice and I didn't mean to, but then it was funny. I'm looking on the, there's a movie right by Pat's place at the coffee table. And I'm like, oh, new movie or one he wants to watch or he's like, he's got so many DVDs blu-rays yeah. whatever and it's the seventh son yeah and i was oh, like oh okay. who's in this oh ben barnes oh <laughs> isn't that yeah. a weird little synchronicity <laughs> is he in that with nicholas cage isn't it nicholas cage in that movie too uh, is that who it was i literally somebody else i think is in that. yeah i don't think it's like a super well Sorry, I was really close to the mic there. 
so not super well known. Okay, it's no, it's Jeff Bridges. Oh, it's like oh. Big Lebowski cast. Jeff Bridges, Julianne Moore, <laughs> um, Ben Barnes, Alicia Vikander, and Kit Harrington. Ooh. And it was a fantasy film, 2014. I think I saw that one. Yeah. I mean, we watch a lot of... He likes fantasy a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw that movie about. in theaters with my old roommate or something. Oh, really? Yeah. I really remember it coming out, but we own it, apparently. And we're probably going to rewatch it, so that's just funny. Um, yeah. And it came up again. I was like, oh, I'll have to tell Kelsey that. Guess I'm gonna watch a little Ben Barnes movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the Shadow and Bone uh, season two to come out. Oh, was he in that? Yeah, he's like a oh. kind of villain. I think he's supposed to be. He's. I think his oh, character's called the Darkling. It's like his. Oh, that's fun. But yeah, it's just funny to watch any of the behind the scenes stuff because he's. I think he's about. 15 to 20 years older than the rest of the main cast so they kind of make fun oh. of him for being old and you're like oh god <laughs> oh my god he's also in yeah. something just called dorian gray i don't know if i saw that yeah. but that was familiar with the story <clears throat> other than uh like the chronicles of narnia movie that he was in print like started in prince caspian uh, that was probably one of the first things I saw him in was Dorian Gray. Okay. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he's like my age, maybe. 30s? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, Cabinet of Curiosities. That's yeah, he good. was in the he's one good. episode of that. that okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that was just a call back to last week. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. We hope you liked that. That was a fun episode. I had fun. Yeah. You know when you're editing and you're like, kind of like, oh yeah, that was fun. <laughs> you're like laughing. It was good. I and I cut out all the most aggressive sniffs that I could because poor Kelly was still <laughs> a little sniffly. So yeah, I hope that all went well. <laughs> We're Hopefully here. it's better. Yeah, I haven't been. It's mostly at work because we're doing a bunch of construction there. So it's, yeah. you know, they're ripping off like panels off the walls and stuff like that. So it's been pretty dusty. Oh, <laughs> they just stuff. keep it open and just start tearing it down. eh? <laughs> yeah, we're in renovation for like three months. We're. this is week three i think uh oh no closing out week three and that sucks yeah they've done quite a bit like they've painted a lot of stuff that's really weird you're just like oh well just get to open this like you're having to drive through when you have to drive through construction you're like can't this just be done yeah (laughs) yeah it kind of sucks but yeah It'll be really bad when they move on to our employee lounge and staff room. That's going to be really annoying because you're oh. kind of stuck in there eating lunch and everything. And I don't know what it's, what all they're doing to it, but yeah. That's bizarre. You would think they could like, I don't know, 
think of a different solution <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know. Close down part of the store or something. I don't know. Yeah. Weird. Now, anything to keep operating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my lord. Um, well, I don't know if it's okay with anything. I always write down my fun things I learn and I listen yeah. <laughs> to podcasts and on the internet all the week. Um, I was trying to grab like a Scottish one, but I couldn't really find anything. Oh, last minute when I was like, oh yeah, it's Scottish crimes. Even though I have a source here that is a whole, it's called a Clan Lands Almanac. <clears throat> we'll get to it. Oh. <laughs> but I did hear something that I thought was kind of interesting and it was on, um, oh, it's a good old podcast that's kind of in our little lady pod squad they started around the same time as us and um we interact with them on instagram all the time they're called homespun haints so yeah i have to shout them out because that's where i got this and it was it was actually a really good episode and very interesting because they told this whole story about it where the term serendipity comes from okay yeah it was also that it was a little bit too like serendipity versus synchronicity and how they're like a little bit different. Which I can't explain well, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> but, you know, they told a story. I guess the word comes from a story which was like called the Three Princes of uh, Serendip. So, like, that's where the serendipity oh. word comes from. Okay. But. And I really wouldn't explain the story very well either, other than the three princes had to like follow tracks in a desert and then it had to do with um, them using deductive reasoning to be like, oh, this was a camel and it went this way or it had a mm. lame foot. Like they were looking at the tracks and stuff. And yeah, it was kind of like the first time that people talked about that kind of deductive reasoning in like a, it's like a really old um persian story or whatever and uh-huh. it inspired the old writer voltaire which i mean he's from i think way long ago so i don't really know any of his stuff but um that apparently in turn even inspired the writer of sherlock holmes arthur conan doyle oh and so like cool yeah it kind of like inspired the kind of character that has that amazing you know deductive reasoning and intellect yeah and like that kind of That's character cool. that knows everything and i was like i didn't know any of that like <laughs> i feel yeah feel a little bit more knowledgeable now so also there yeah. was a dog made nipple tracks in one of the stories i was just like it was all over the place <laughs> it was really worth a listen. got some sagging it was a pregnant dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like it was interesting. I'm got little you. little short legs. And uh, yeah, a little a dog, dog out in the out in the desert, just trying to trying to get along. <laughs> I like come home and over dinner, I'm like ranting at my family about stories and nipple tracks, and they're looking at me like, "You learned what on a podcast today?" <laughs> yeah. Any. What are we talking about? 
We have some Scottish crimes. Whoop, whoop. Go they back to the have a crazy history. <laughs> yeah. Go back to some of our international true crime episodes where we pick a country or a place and then find two cases to talk about. It's been a while since we did one. Yeah. What was the last one? I don't even know. It's quite a while ago. I have to bring up our episode list. Episode list order. Because hostage crimes was... We both did two different countries, so that wasn't... But that was... That was interesting. Those were big ones (laughs) for those countries. Uh, Episode 80, we did... Like, Mexico crimes and Day of the Dead. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. Well, I picked this one, and it was funny. You were like, I was going to suggest maybe just, not just an international one, but sometimes. Pick a country. Yeah. It's easier to pick a country than to pick a specific theme sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and then I was kind of trying to pick something. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) We haven't Mm -hmm. done this, but we've done. Uh, Scottish folklore yeah which we talked about last week actually because you had to relook up your cryptid that was the drowny horse and I was talking about a drowny horse cryptid that's also a naked guy with a violin sometimes yeah (laughs) there's some callbacks going back in folklore but a lot of the countries have similar creatures and things like that slight variations off them yeah a lot of scary horse dudes that are (laughs) yeah just trying to trick you into being able to drown you i guess yeah or they're like super strong centaur looking guys that also have some sort of what's the one from the doulahan or whatever didn't have a big bone scythe yeah like basically the headless horseman kind of yeah yeah. Creeper. Oh, pardon me. Wow. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I can kick Take us to off. Scotland. <laughs> For uh, my case, I ended up picking it literally only because of the name. The, I guess the <laughs> moniker that the case has been given because it makes me laugh. I guess, for the fact it's called The World's End Murders. Um, And it's named... The case itself is named basically after the pub that was associated with the case. Okay. That makes sense. When you said World's End, I was like, that's got to be a pub, right? Yeah. (laughs) But there's also a movie, anybody that loves uh, Edgar Wright, he is the director of like Baby Driver and Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and oh. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And he also directed a movie called The World's End. And I okay. think it's one of the funniest movies he's ever done. And I'm so familiar. Uh, it's based on a pub crawl, and like Martin Freeman's in it, uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, of course. And it's part of the Martin Cornetto Freeman, trilogy. the guy who's in everything, but I can never yeah. remember his name. <laughs> oh, I can't. Uh, so they're all in it, and it's part of the 
they called it the Cornetto trilogy. So it goes Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and then The World's End. Like that's the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. I like the first two. I I must have seen the third one then. I think I you feel have. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think it's hilarious. And yeah, it's so I'm yeah, they basically go on a pub crawl and slowly they realize that the town that they grew up in, because they all moved away from it and had successful lives or whatever, uh, so they all go back to the pub crawl to try and finish the pub crawl that they couldn't finish when they were like 19, because it's going to like all these different bars and they all got too wasted and basically ended up passing out before they completed it at the oh, world's okay. end is the final one they're supposed to go to. So they go back as adults and are like, we're going to do this whole pub crawl. And it slowly devolves to everybody in the town being like off, like they're not quite themselves and um, everything's kind of slightly strange. And then suddenly it becomes basically that aliens have replaced all the people living in the town. So So then while they're all pretty much drunk... Uh, They're trying to complete this (laughs) pub crawl to not let on that they know that they're surrounded by aliens. So they just keep going to like bars and downing beers and then being like, okay, (laughs) next one, alien invasion. Uh, Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those guys are funny. Or the pub that they're trying to get to at the end is the world's end. And then in the movie, the, the world ends up almost ending and then I just laughed because right. this was called The World's End Murders and it's a pub that's called The World's End and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so it's a real one. Really? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, it's probably been around for like a hundred years at least. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. They do that so well too. Like the with the zombies. It's a really mm-hmm. funny zombie movie. And then yeah. like, I like Hot Fuzz too. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically so, along that that same kind of line, it, except it's aliens instead of zombies <laughs> or whatever. And, uh, or I guess robots. They're kind of like robot aliens, I guess. But I love a good funny alien funny. movie. Like, there's not yeah. that many of them, but there's Paul. Yeah, has... they're in Paul, <laughs> too. Okay, okay. And I was going to yeah. say, isn't it the same people, sort of? Okay, yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. I highly recommend it. Um, I'm sure this case will be nothing like the movie. Uh, (laughs) And that's the last funny thing we're going to say. No. (laughs) Uh, So the the World's End Murders is the name given for a case where I think it's in, is it Edinburgh or Edinburgh? How do you pronounce that? I didn't look it up. Um, how do I say it? I was thinking Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Uh, so it's the name given to uh, two girls, actually, that were murdered in Edinburgh in October oh. of 1977. And Ooh, the, the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. The case was given the name because the girls were last seen leaving the World's End pub. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was and the they always have to give it a catchy name. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily catchy, but just sort of so you can remember it. I find that the mm-hmm. yeah, the newspapers. Yeah. So on the night of October 15th, 19, 
77, uh, the two 17-year-old girls, Christine Edie and Helen Scott, uh, were seen leaving the World's World's End pub at closing time just after 11. And closing time. I had to. (laughs) Right? stop. Yeah. Uh, The friends had been out celebrating their new jobs and the start of what they saw as their adult lives because they're 17. They got like really good new jobs. They're both excited. Uh, Yeah. It's amazing and sad. (laughs) Right? They were only 17. Yeah. Uh, They were out with two of their other friends, Jacqueline and Tony. Uh, So... Yeah, Tony, it's Tony with an I, so I assume it's female. Oh, Jackie Uh, and Tony. (laughs) Jackie and Tony, yeah. Uh, So after Tony and Jacqueline decided to leave the pub in order to go to a house party, uh, Christine and Edie, or Christine, Edie, and Helen Scott instead chose to leave the pub. Like at first they stayed at the pub a little while after Tony and Jacqueline left, and then they decided to leave because they assumed that their parents were, like, expecting them home soon, and they decided to go back to their houses. I think they were planning on walking. Okay. Yeah. But they're leaving together. The buddy system. Yeah, they did leave (laughs) together. Uh, So that, according to edinburghnews.scotsman.com, it's the only place I found this by because... It said that the pair were met by policeman John Rafferty, who stopped to help when Christine stumbled on the cobblestones. And it said he would later tell his colleagues how he watched the two young friends disappear into the night with two shadowy strangers. So they weren't alone. That's the only place I found that because... Other sources, like, put them just at the pub and that they weren't seen again after that. And this says that a cop saw them after, so I'm not sure. That is very mm-hmm. odd sounding. Then yeah. he's, and supposedly the, the, if it happened, the cop helped one of them from falling and then saw them Yeah, fall? stopped to help Christine when she, like, oh. slipped or something on the cobblestones when hmm. she's walking. Yeah. wonder if they were with people why they didn't help them then, if that's the case. Right? Yeah, that's a little weird. A group of four people and a cop stops to help somebody that stumbles. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, Helen's parents ended up contacting Tony and Jacqueline after, obviously, their daughter didn't come home in the morning. The girls told them that they had left them the night before and had left them at the pub. So, the... Uh, two families gathered together at the Scots' home to wait for more information and to see if the girls showed up. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, nothing. Like, they didn't get any information. And not too long after that, in the early morning, uh, e- 80's naked body was found in Gosford Bay. Like a, It's kind of like a lake. Like, not very big, maybe more pond-like. Or river. Uh, it oh, was found by a couple. sounds big, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Uh, it was found by a couple that was walking nearby. And then not oh. 
too long after that, Scott's body was found also unclothed six miles away from where Aidy's body was found in a corn stubble field. I don't know what corn stubble is. The stubble. Very short corn, maybe? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. Baby corn. (laughs) That's where they grow the baby corn. (laughs) So I watched something. recently that apparently on like regular corn stalks the baby corn like grows on the top of regular corn or something like each cor- each regular corn will grow oh. a baby corn and that and i was like oh i was like and they're like the people i was watching were like yeah mind blown that it's not like a separate thing it's just every corn has a baby corn <laughs> like, okay. i mean We've grown corn here a couple times. Like it, it does get really long and tapered, and then like yeah. we see it at the store. Oftentimes, it's it's quite cut off at the ends for you already. Or well, not when it's on the cob though. Interesting. So they just yeah. use the little the nubbin, yeah, just the little <laughs> the last few inches. Yeah, <laughs> just the tip. Uh, <laughs> get oh, a can God. of tips. Tips on. Oh. <laughs> I hate baby corn. It's like so gross. Oh, really? I've never (laughs) liked it. Um, Anyway. Extra thing, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, just meh. Um, Those tiny kernels. (laughs) Uh, Back to this depressing story. Uh, So when both girls' bodies were found, they had both been beaten uh, they were found gagged, tied up, and there was evidence that they had both been raped and both strangled. Oh my god. And, yeah. The, <sighs> and they were together. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, there had been no attempts by their killer to conceal or even hide the bodies. Like, they were out in the open, very easily found. And But in two different places, right? Yeah, six six miles apart. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. He used a different approach, or they, whoever the yeah. killers were. So in it ends up going cold basically, and in late 1977, so the same year, uh, police conducted a high-profile investigation that ended up consisting of over 500 suspects and over 13,000 statements from the public. Wow. Mm-hmm. However, Statements. okay. Yeah. However, with all of this, they were still unable to identify the murderer, and the case at the time was really popular in the media. And a picture of the girls that was taken at a photo booth uh, was actually used by police when they were asking for information. Um, I couldn't find this picture, so I'm not exactly sure. Weird. That. So that was it like the only. Yeah, that's not good. The only available photo you have is the photo booth yeah. photo. That's not going to be the best quality. No, but they did have other pictures, and I never found this photo booth photo. Um, I did put mm. pictures in the drive, and even the one that they used in like newspapers that circulated doesn't really look. It doesn't look like it's from a photo booth, so I don't know what they're talking about. Okay. Maybe it never got digitized or whatever. Yeah, maybe. 
Okay. Uh, the media reported that several witnesses had told the police that they had seen Helen Scott and Christine Eadie sitting near the public phone at the bar when they were still there, and that they were sitting near the phone and talking with two different men. Uh, so okay. That's that supposed group of four. However, neither man were ever located or being able to be identified by the police. And because of this, speculation of these two men's involvement increased when it was revealed that the knots used to tie the girls' hands behind their backs were two different types. So they Hmm. each had their hands tied behind their backs, but using different knots. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. It's like when you pick up... Two girls at the bar, but you're arguing over, like, which one you want, and then they each go off with one, maybe? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. I don't like that ammo. No. <laughs> so, again, with this case not really having any new leads, in May of 1978, police unfortunately announced that they were scaling back the investigation. Oh, no. So... Yeah, from 1978 to 1997, there's nothing that happens on the case. So, nine years. Or no, more than nine years. That's so sad. Yeah, Yeah, really sad. Um, And I'm hoping not the end of what you're going to tell me. No, (laughs) Because I'm just like, god damn it, why? That'd be brutal and very short. Uh... (laughs) So, uh, in 1997, the police ended up kind of forming a cold case unit, and they began reviewing the case, uh, which I love. I love cold case units. They're the real, like, MVPs. Oh, man, the work they do. Yeah, so hard and just so time-consuming. They just have to Mm -hmm. be so dogged in there. Yeah. Yeah. So... Because it had been so many years with, I think, 19 years it must have been, yeah, 78 to 97, 19 years, with improved DNA profiling technology, they were able to isolate the DNA profile samples of two males that were found on Scott's raincoat, like there was DNA of two men, two different men on her raincoat. Okay. Um, So they had their samples, and the DNA... Of the original 500 suspects that they believed, like, back in 1977, uh, they were also, like, re-investigated, basically, and I think re-contacted for DNA samples if they hadn't already provided them at some point. Holy Uh, shit, 500? Wow. Yeah, so they could also be analyzed and compared to these new samples they had gotten off the raincoat, but... Sadly, there was no no matches between these Ugh. samples. And once again, the case went cold. Uh, this time, still a number of years, but uh, just six. Not like it's just six, but... Uh, yeah, for the family, it just must feel like eternity. Right? Yeah. yeah. For the families, I guess. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by October of 2003... The BBC Crime Watch program was released. I think it's it's mm-hmm. kind of having very little information about it. I'd say it'd probably be similar to like Unsolved or like America's Most Wanted. Like just kind of telling you about the yeah. case. There's a bit of a re- recreation. 
a reconstruction like a... of the crime. Here's some photos. If you have any information, call this number. So after this aired in 2003, the police ended up receiving a phone call from a man who claimed that he had been walking near Gosford Bay on the night of the murders, and he had seen a suspicious vehicle, uh, like, in that area. Okay. Uh, he said that it was a works van. Uh, I don't know if it means, like, public works or just a company van. Right. Some kind um, of logo on it or mm-hmm. name or something, probably. All right. So he had seen this vehicle. He said it was driving erratically. Uh, that's probably oh. why he had noticed it. Yeah. And yeah. obviously he had not previously come forward. Uh, I think they ended up following up with this, but I don't really have any information about that vehicle. Uh, okay. Didn't go anywhere. Yeah, a vehicle gets mentioned, but I don't know if it's supposed to be that same one. Okay. Uh, After the program aired, police in total received about 130 calls from different witnesses who had previously not contacted the police with any information. Which blows my mind because it was so well reported in the news. You'd think these people would have come forward instead of waiting yeah, I would hope. I like, wonder if they just kind of said anything you might know, you know, even if you don't think it's anything significant, like maybe they just made another plea yeah. and people thought, okay, well, I don't know if this is anything, but I guess I'll yeah, better report it. That sucks. Yeah. That'd be a hard thing to have on your shoulders. Yeah. I, I don't know. Depending uh, on what you saw. <laughs> yeah. So, also in 2003, the press ended up reporting that police had enlisted the help of Forensic Science Service, FSS, to try to determine the identity of this unknown DNA samples, and as the sample was a partial match, actually, to over 200 profiles in the National DNA Database. So, like, when they were doing those DNA samples, it wasn't, it was, like, it kept coming up partial matches. It wasn't Ugh. actual like matches. So that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a quick anecdote. No <laughs> tangent. Uh, no, I was just listening to a quick episode earlier where someone was telling their personal like adoption story to the host of the oh. show and stuff, and then she was like saying how she got was able to get her birth certificate and there was names on it and so she thought she tracked down like her dad but then when they got the test back it was like it comes back in like percentages apparently so it'd be like it's Um... not like just says he is your dad or he isn't but it was like this one was like there was basically like 0.0 percent chance and so that must have been hard and stuff like that and i don't know that's what it made me think of because it's like oh you don't get like a concrete clear answer yeah they keep talking about that on the one radio station i listened to they do they did a few over the course of a couple different weeks where it was like found family like how did you find relatives or whatever through dna testing or did you and then i think the next day they did the flip side it was like how did you find out you weren't related to your family through dna testing of like 
those stories and are so lots crazy. Of, lots of people were calling in saying like their uh whoever they thought their dad was or their mom was had raised them their entire lives and since passed yeah. away and like found out that person wasn't your parent uh, like they do twenty three me or something, and then they're yes. like, "Oh, it says I'm like Puerto Rican," and like, "Ha ha ha, that's funny because we're Italian or something like that, right?" Yeah. <laughs> the one person called in and said that their their grandfather, basically, grandfather or their like father, yeah, it was their grandfather because this person was like. 78 and found out that their parents weren't their parents and it was oh like jesus like oh that's brutal like, so you can't even maybe ask them about it because they're not even with us anymore yeah, yeah. like uh, yeah didn't um somebody in true crime find out that way like ted bundy or someone i could do yeah that find out that they weren't oh my mom wasn't my mother when someone asked them about it like a reporter there or something they're like uh what (laughs) yeah there was a case of that i do remember that i can't remember who it was though but you're right somebody i can try and confirm yeah (laughs) somebody somebody i should know (laughs) yeah i know somebody ended up their parent was not their parent was ted bunny raised by his grandma Yes. Yeah, to hide the fact that he was an illegitimate child, Bundy was raised as the adopted son of his grandparents and told that his mother was his sister. I think it's him that found out just like in the, mm. the most random setting. Like, Wah. yeah. Ooh, awkward. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So, yeah, they have all these partial matches. So that brings us to the gentleman. Who I'm just gonna say did it. <laughs> fuck him. Uh, even if he this didn't is her do this, opinion. <laughs> he did enough shit that like fuck him. So uh All right. Uh his permission name to is... say fuck him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. His name is Angus Sinclair. Uh oh, so an Angus. Mm-hmm. How dare you sully that name? I was uh... almost gonna be an Angus. <laughs> And narrowly escaped it by just being born without having a penis. <laughs> yeah. That's a um, kind of cow. <laughs> I like it. It's a good name. It's a very good Scottish yeah. name. No yeah. offense to any Anguses out there. I wouldn't have minded. <laughs> uh, on November 25th, 2004, Angus and Claire, who lived in Edinburgh at the time of the murders, was uh, actually detained in connection with the murders it was kind of confusing at first about how he was detained, but I think it was after his DNA, which had previously been collected. I think they were just running all these samples and then his came up as a partial match and then maybe they got a better sample or something, but they got a good match to him as being one of the unknown DNA samples at the scene. And when they started questioning him, they ended up collecting a fresh DNA sample from him through, like, mouth swabs um, that they took for comparison. And uh, four months later, four or five months later, on March 31st, 2005, Sinclair was arrested and charged with the murder and rape of Edie and Scott in 1977. And at the time, he didn't really make a plea or any sort of declaration 
about whether or not he was guilty. He didn't really say much of anything. And he was placed in custody. And charged so, with both of them? Yeah. For for both? Okay. So it was his, yeah, so they could place, right. place him at one of the scenes. So I think they charged hmm. him with both. Interesting. Yeah. So... Uh, in August of 2007, he ended up starting a trial, uh, which, according to Wikipedia, this is what he's... August of 2007? Wow, that yeah. took a while. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it just, like, hit me. Yeah, he... That was... Yeah, he was that custody was... for a little over two years. Right. Well, I had my kid but... in July of 2007. I'm like, that's, like, just 16 years ago, and it happened yeah. in 77? Like, holy yeah. shit. Um, it's like when the first Star Wars movie came out (laughs) that's crazy even though he was like in custody during that time he had a bunch of previous crimes so don't feel bad about him being in prison Um, oh no yeah I won't (laughs) yeah Uh, according to Wikipedia this is basically what they say what he said Inga Sinclair says what happened says the in indictment or what he said alleged this is from wikipedia that on the night of the 15th through to the 16th of october 1977 sinclair and gordon hamilton who gordon. sinclair yeah <laughs> that's right? such a scottish name <sighs> gordo are you scottish uh oh was his namesake it... scottish probably <laughs> Probably, well, yeah. Scottish descent and his Canadianness, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Gordon Hamilton is actually Sinclair's brother-in-law, and oh. uh, Hamilton had actually died in 1996, so he's already dead by the time this trial is taking place. Okay, and so Sinclair says that he. And Hamilton persuaded or forced the girls into a motor vehicle and held them against their will in St. Mary's Street near the World's End pub. Uh, It was alleged that he then drove Christine Eady to Gosford Bay, Aberley, and there or elsewhere attacked, stripped, and gagged her with her underwear then tied her wrists, all before raping her, and then killing her by restricting her breathing. He... There or elsewhere. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. They keep saying there or elsewhere in this, and I was like, why? So confusing. He Uh, doesn't remember. Right? He was further accused of raping and murdering Scott in the same way and driving her to a road near Haddington, and in a field there or elsewhere in Edinburgh and East... Lothian ended up attacking her so basically said the same thing uh, okay. they just said it very annoyingly in my opinion uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just name drop all the he, places it could have been <laughs> yeah here there were everywhere uh, it's like when on wine and crime they anytime they go to the UK they do geography yeah like, how far is it from Peniston I'm sorry I know I've probably yeah. said that before but it does amuse me <laughs> Uh, so Sinclair himself because uh, Hamilton's dead so he's the only one they they can really like get for this crime he ended up pleading finally not guilty at the end of the trial 
and he ended up stating that any sexual activity between him and the girls had been consensual and that their deaths had been caused like solely by Gordon Hamilton alone and he hadn't been involved in that part. I mean, that's convenient. <laughs> mm-hmm. So of course it was consensual. Right? So the jury was presented really with just a circumstantial case uh, as the car that Sinclair drove that night had been destroyed so they weren't able to get any forensic evidence about like them being moved away from the pub and really other than the dna sample on the coat which like uh doesn't really prove because i mean it's just on her coat so yeah you could have been with them just at the pub and touched her coat kind of thing so they were right it's just like trace amounts of dna yeah so they were kind of pushing really hard for that I think the defense was saying that there was little forensic evidence other than these few samples of DNA and the DNA evidence uh, was also presented that they had done rape kits on both the girls and that semen was found in both of them and it shared the same DNA profile as Sinclair. But oh, so they he were had... raped by the same person and it was probably him. Yes. But in his testimony, he had said that, like, they had had sex with both of them consensually. So Trying to, yeah, lesser his charges. And, like, they're not here to dispute it, so why not? Yeah. Yeah. So the last evidence presented was that the semen matching Sinclair's cheek swabs that they had taken, like, to get that new fresh DNA sample from him. Fresh. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Fresh. (laughs) Uh, that this was found mixed with DNA from Scott, like her blood or her DNA on Scott's coat. So because his DNA was mixed with her DNA on her coat, it could better place him at the scene that like something happened. And yeah, they also said that DNA obtained from Hamilton's relatives because he had since died already. um, So they couldn't get his DNA, but they did get like familial matches. And they actually matched him also to semen found on both of the girls. So, like, both of them had presumably raped or had some form of, like, rape activity with both of the girls. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like he wasn't lying that his buddy Hamilton was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's not just throwing him under the bus, at least. Um, <laughs> Maybe so, not completely. <laughs> Hard to say. Uh, so by he's September... He's tipping him towards the bus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so by September 2007, the defense made a submission that Sinclair had no case to answer in respect to the charges libeled due to insufficiency of evidence. I had no idea what that meant. Oh god. Uh, Until I kept reading. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, no case to answer means something. (laughs) Um basically the defense was uh contending that the crown, like the prosecutors had failed to prove that Sinclair had caused the actual violence or force or death against the girls, and (sighs) instead they had basically 
um, also failed to prove that the sexual encounter and the semen found had not been put there consensually. Oh, come on. How much evidence yeah. do we have to have? Right. And as a res- like, I get it, like, reasonable dope, blah, blah, blah. But still, that's so frustrating. Especially when you find out what this guy's done. Like, if this oh. judge knew about this, I'm sorry, but also fuck this judge. Uh, because as a result of this, the judge upheld this defense submission and formally acquitted Sinclair of the charges before it was able to be put to any sort of jury vote. So the jury had heard all the evidence and before the jury could vote, the defense is like, yeah, they failed to prove beyond reasonable doubt, basically. And then the judge was like, okay, sure. And like acquitted him. Like, Mm. uh, yeah, brutal. Don't do that. Because then you might not be able to try him again if the double jeopardy Mm -hmm. thing applies. Yeah, exactly. So... After the trial concluded, uh, which I am shocked to believe that nobody knew about this before, but it was suddenly revealed that Angus Sinclair was previously convicted of murder. He was also a known serial sexual offender. And he had also, he he had not been free at the time he had been arrested and charged with this case. He had been in the middle of serving two life sentences when he was brought on trial for the World's End murders. Like, oh, so they found him already in jail. For yeah, murder. basically. Yeah, murders, rapes, being a gross person. Well, that part's good that he's in there already. Yeah. I'm going to hang on to that. <laughs> right? But he should um, be in there for these two. Yeah. It's not over yet, though. It does have a happy I'm ending. It does have a happy ending. I'm already mad. <laughs> so, All right. <laughs> I'll stick around. <laughs> okay. I hope so. Just leaves. <laughs> uh, so this is kind of the synopsis of his prior history and brushes with the law. Uh, this oh. is from Wikipedia, but I found it on other stuff too. Doesn't go into a lot of detail, but this is kind of a summary. Uh, Sinclair's first conviction occurred in 1961 at the age of 16 when he pleaded guilty and was convicted of the culpable homicide of eight-year-old Catherine Rehill and he served six years in prison. Uh, Catherine Rehill Mm. was sexually assaulted by Sinclair at eight years old. After this, he strangled her in his family home, so at his house, with the inner tube of a bike tire. And... Okay. Yeah, then he threw her body down a flight of stairs and told the little girl's mother that her death had been an accident because she had basically fallen down the stairs. At 16, he did this. Like a psychopath. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had a loss for words. Yeah. And he got six years? He got six years in prison for that. Probably only because he was 16 at the time. Uh, (sighs) Jumping ahead to 1982, five years after the World's End murders, he pleaded guilty to 11 of 13 charges uh, that involved various rapes and indecent assaults that were committed against young girls And he was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, This was five years after their deaths. 
in June 2001, while still in prison, he went on trial and was given another life sentence for the murder of 17-year-old Mary Gallagher. Uh, this occurred on a footpath near the Barnhill Railway Station in Glasgow in November 1978, 13 months after the World's End murders. Uh, oh, Wow. Yeah, Mary, who was 17, had been dragged into bushes, sexually assaulted, had her throat cut, and a ligature tied around her neck. Uh, And this probably happened before the... This happened 13 months after. Yeah. Wasn't he already in jail? Oh my god, sorry. I think so, but they because it was considered a cold case, I don't think anybody was running the DNA samples for it until like 1990-something. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then DNA was better and stuff too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, again, during this time, Sinclair failed to accept any sort of responsibility for the crime. He denied all knowledge despite being found guilty by a majority verdict. And faced with the reality that the chances of a DNA sample matching anyone other than Sinclair were a billion to one. Um, Don't. He's trying to weasel his way out. Yeah. Sinclair was. Does he like those odds? They're not good. (laughs) A billion to one. Yeah. Uh, Sinclair was only caught for the 1978 murder. um, So the uh, Mary Gallagher's murder. After a cold case review by police revealed the presence of new DNA evidence not uncovered during the initial investigation, just like this one was. Um, Uh. Yeah. So, that's kind of his history. Like I said, he's an asshole. Fuck him. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, big time. So, if the judge knew all that and still acquitted him, fuck that judge. Uh, Because that's ridiculous. That you would not think he was capable of doing that and that they could argue insufficient evidence when... Yeah, sometimes I don't understand why they have to exclude something because it doesn't have to do with the crime when it clearly paints their propensity yeah. for doing that kind of crime. You're like, yeah, exactly. done it before. Yeah, I think it should almost always be relevant if they've done something like that before. It's not like you're throwing in there being like, Oh, he's being charged with rape and murder. Well, he has overdue library books and parking tickets. And uh, he stole a pack of gum from a store. No, if you have His boss somebody doesn't like him. Yeah. yeah, it's one thing to bring up somebody's past history, I guess, or background and have it be little stupid shit like that when you're talking about something big and you're trying to paint them as a bad person. But when somebody's being charged with murder and rape and they literally have murder and rape in their background that they've been convicted for, that is relevant. Yeah, if there was a jury, they should probably know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's what was going back. So back to his acquittal. This obviously drew widespread criticism in the press. And because there had been such a level of public interest in the case, um, and because it was like 30... I think almost 30 exactly years old when he was acquitted. Um, It kind of blew up and uh, it, the interest in the case, the crown's case against Sinclair actually ended up being explained and reviewed in parliament. So like 
the lawyers basically went to parliament and like explained their side of the case about why they had charged him with this which was kind of weird to do um yeah so because of this parla this review of the case by parliament was kind of seen as being criticizing of the decision of the trial judge which was not good but also like it was a stupid decision by the judge um (laughs) and yeah like you like judges aren't infallible or perfect and that's why you have the different levels of government um Mm -hmm. like yeah we have similar thing here where we have parliament and it's like yeah yeah it's not all the power should be in one person's hands right um so as a result many judges kind of went back and forth about the case some of them agreed with the trial judge some of them didn't uh, an interest in the outcome of the case led to systemic changes in criminal procedure. You've already mentioned oh. it, but the rules <laughs> of double jeopardy were reviewed, as well oh. as the admissibility of bad character evidence and similar fact evidence in criminal trials. This was all reviewed, in part because oh, of this. Wow. Not solely because of it, but partly because of it. Uh, and so, we were just, yeah, that's what we were yeah. just talking about. <laughs> exactly. In March of 2011, the Scottish Parliament passed the Double Jeopardy Scotland Act in 2011 that makes various provisions for circumstances when a person convicted or acquitted of an offence can be prosecuted anew. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I kept in anew, so it was fancy. Uh, I like it, yeah. (laughs) They're basically saying... Yeah, that's why I'm like, it has a happy ending. Stay, stay with me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, in 2012, the Crown Office issued a press statement saying that the police had been instructed to reopen the case. And in 2013, three judges took eight days to hear a bid from prosecutors for a second trial to be put against Sinclair for the murders. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Crazy. He's so back. Yeah. Meanwhile, this whole time, he's still in prison, at least. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So in April 2014, the Crown was granted permission to bring this new prosecution against Sinclair. With the help of new, new DNA, they could more accurately show how Sinclair's DNA ended up on the girls and at the scene. Uh, So Mm -hmm. they basically were able to prove that it couldn't have just been, like, transferred, just him touching, like, it was, like, the percentage of, like, the mixture and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh wow. It was like you were there at the time of their murders and their rapes. Like that was mm-hmm. it. Good. Um Fuck the it. ligatures he used to tie up Helen and Christine were re-examined using new forensic technique called crime light. And this found microscopic traces of Sinclair's DNA, like inside the knots in the rope, proving that he must have been the one who tied them up. Wow. Like, yeah. Crime light? Like a light L I G T H? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what this calls. Yeah. Not Is like crime light, like, like a diet crime. <laughs> no. Crime light. Light. Crime. Yeah. Uh I don't know if it's different from like that. Is it like chromiography or whatever? or whatever that they they put like a substance in and then it does the chemical makeup of that substance? I don't know if it's um. too different. Yeah, see it on forensic mm-hmm. files all the time. They're like, Ooh, and then it comes back, and it's like it's ten percent this and four percent that, and I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the second trial started in October 2014, 
During the trial, the jury visited actually the scene of the murders uh, and forensic oh, field trip. <laughs> yeah, isn't that fun? A forensic soil <laughs> specialist examined soil samples that had been taken from 1977 from Helen Scott's bare feet, which became important evidence. Oh. I don't know if I ever mention it again. I don't know how it's so important, but okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it was important. We know that. <laughs> it was important. Uh, in November 2014, Sinclair was found guilty of the murders of Helen Scott and Christine Eady nearly 40 years after their tragic deaths. He was the first person in Scotland to stand trial for a second time for the same crime under the new double jeopardy laws. Yeah, he's a winner. You won something. He's number one. He's number one. Winner. Sorry, that always I always think of that. I think it's from that '70s show, Seth Uh, Green. (laughs) He's like this recurring character that's always like competing with Eric. Oh, and then like. I'm winning because I'm a winner. I don't know. <laughs> it's terrible, but I'm so good. Uh, I love this because the jury also found him guilty after only two and a half hours. I'm surprised it wasn't just five minutes. Uh, yeah, two and a half hours. That's pretty quick. I heard something on Crimes and Consequences. I'm sure it was that, or maybe it was Bailey Sarian. And they were talking, and she's like, can you imagine if they just like handed down a life sentence in like five minutes and then everybody was like, that was kind of quick. And I think they said even in the jury room, one of the witnesses came back and was like, yeah, we were all like, we can't just tell them we decided that so quickly. So they ended up all sitting around and basically just snacking, talking for the next hour and a half and like eating (laughs) cookies, drinking coffee. And then they were like, okay, we're ready. Nice. (laughs) It was like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think the shortest I've ever heard of was like 45 minutes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, that's pretty baller because I always wondered what's the shortest amount of time that it's yeah. been like reported. But uh, so Sinclair finally found guilty. He it was 69 years old and was once again sentenced to life nice. imprisonment <laughs> with a minimum of 37 years. The exact number of years each family had been without their daughters. So um yeah because he was sentenced 37 years after the crime damn yeah you sir may fuck off and never return right so at the age (laughs) of 69 he sentenced to 37 years he would be 106 years old before being considered eligible for parole is he still Uh, alive No, he is not. (laughs) Sinclair, who was branded a beast by Helen Scott's father, died in his cell in 2009. And this is my favorite thing ever. Okay. Died in 2009 at age 73 after suffering several strokes the previous year that left him incontinent and bedbound. Yeah. Damn. Just like pooping on himself all day. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for him that's fine i love that for him yeah i love that for him uh it is believed that sinclair was responsible for the death of four other young women between 1977 and 1978 and Damn. if this is true he killed at least six women within seven months in the year 1977 alone 
It seemed like they were all around mm-hmm. a very quick time span when you were saying 77, yeah. 78. He is like, considered wow. like a notorious serial killer in Scotland, which is crazy. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I have was just speaking outside the courthouse on the day of the sentencing. Helen's brother, Kevin, said that the two girls' legacy uh, was to was to have... I would say, like, has changed Scotland's justice system for the better. I think partly because of that double jeopardy law. (laughs) Uh, And also, we have waited waited 37 years for justice, and today that wait has ended, and we finally have justice for Helen and Christine. God, finally. Yeah. I'm glad some of their family was around to see it. Right? I don't know about the pair. I think the parents were alive. I have a picture. Uh, I think it's... Yeah, oh, yeah. it's called the Scots. Uh, Helen Scott's brother, Kevin. Uh, her father, Moraine. And niece, Amy. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, I think her mom maybe has passed away then. But... Yeah, it's nice that... You know, laws were reviewed and changed, I think, for the better for it. And oh, yeah, sad that it had to happen in the first place, like with him being acquitted and stuff. But um, yeah, at least it has a happy ending. He looks very unassuming. Like, yeah, he just kind of just a regular dude. Yeah, he just kind of looks like he needs a shower from what I remember. (laughs) Yeah, the first picture is very 70s. Yeah, like the hair, and then there's a you know open collar, a little bit. Oh yeah, the picture of him like later out. on, he looks like any father you would see at Home Depot. Like, I'm try- yeah, <laughs> he's wearing a white T-shirt that's like got long sleeves basically to his elbow, uh, wearing a black belt with his shirt tucked into his jeans, like very. Yeah, and I'm like just like trying to think who he reminds me of because in the first picture I was kind of like yeah Andy Kaufman ish maybe <laughs> maybe that's just the hair um yeah that's mm-hmm. crazy He's, yeah doesn't, doesn't look like a no. not that everybody that there's a monster looks the same but it's just right crazy. yeah yeah when I was getting to it and I was like he was acquitted and I was like typing everything up and I hadn't gotten to the part of like his crimes yet and then I was reading that and I was like what the hell how was he ever acquitted (laughs) bury the lead guys (laughs) I was like really you're acquitted you already are serving two life sentences for like other shit like just tack on a third I don't even care like who cares yeah doesn't seem like there's any reforming for that guy yeah, clearly not. No, he liked it too much. <laughs> yeah, raping and chucking it or oh, strangling God. her and chucking that eight year old down the stairs and then telling her mom she died by accident. Like, ugh. I almost needed a trigger warning for that one. That was just way out of left field. I was like, oh, okay, oh. that's even more brutal. Like, yeah, it's like, okay. Yeah. Started I'm young, sure there's. Did more in-depth stuff about like all of those other crimes he did but yeah um, there's probably books about this kind of guy yeah yeah definitely well Mm -hmm. i would i would be interested to learn more about the victims for sure i would read i would read up on it 
Maybe I will yeah. now. <laughs> I, I couldn't really find much more about Christine Eady and Helen Scott, but... Um, yeah, that's often the case, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. They didn't deserve that, that's for sure. That's, oh, no. Like, you just want to go out and have your wingman or your wingwoman, and, and then you think, perfect, there's two right. of them? Out like, celebrating new jobs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff. That part sucked. And then they, yeah. Mm. Brutal. Thanks, I hate it. You're welcome, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think mine's gonna be also dark, but mm, it is very fun. different. Yay! <laughs> Makes for a good Stick episode. Stick with us. Yeah. yeah. We'll be back. <laughs> for more child murder. <laughs> oh, spoiler. Oh, God. <laughs> spoiler she spoiled it okay <laughs> episode <All> over right. <laughs> welcome back to castles and cryptids and cats and dogs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a podcast you guys know if you have a pet yeah. <laughs> you know oh you know they just like to get up at everything I hear cats are like that on a lot of things yeah. When you're, when you're working there, like, what you doing? What's going on? <laughs> Fenrir yeah. came in and sat pretty much on the chair leg earlier because he'll come and do that. He'll sit like right on your foot because he wants just attention. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's such a big suck. <laughs> Gordo will, I'll be on the couch and I'll have my laptop on my lap and he will jump up if he sees any space between like, my stomach and the laptop he will jump right there <laughs> land right on like my stomach and then he like crawls and starts nuzzling your head and like he'll he'll he hit to be the laptop <laughs> yeah he does and then he'll lay down and then he'll like use his back legs to push my laptop away like push it further down be like nah. <laughs> But then he lays down and, and this he'll has like, gotta go. <laughs> yeah, he'll put yeah. his head under my chin and like lay there with like his his head tucked under my chin. And then he wants to do a little needy pause across oh. me. And... That's cute yeah. but painful. <laughs> it can be, yeah. I try and keep his nails really short because he loves he loves needy paws. <laughs> He'd be making biscuits all day. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he sticks his hands in your shoes. <laughs> yes, so that's my favorite thing. Oh, I, good picture. <laughs> I had taken... Uh, what did I do? Oh, I repainted the laundry room, the ceiling last night. And I yeah. had taken the gross like shoes I have in there. Old work shoes, but they have a bunch of like paint and drywall mud like on the bottom of them and stuff yeah. now. And I had them on the floor map of my door. I was gone for maybe two minutes doing something. I think it was just to go to the bathroom. And then I came back and he was sitting on them with his arms in them. And I was like, oh, so cute. It doesn't take him long. No, it was the fastest I've ever seen him be like, feet go in the shoes. (laughs) Or 
just him, his like a little case. kid wearing the mom's high heels. Yeah, like he he puts his whole upper arms like up to his shoulders yeah. in those shoes, and he just sits there on them, and it was so cute. I just came in because it was dark too. I just come around the corner, you can barely see him, and he's just sitting there. Like I wasn't in there, nothing. He's just like shoes. And this is where they go, right? <laughs> yeah, I put my feet in the shoes. Yeah. Anyway, I'm ready for, well, I was going to say, I'm ready for child murder, but that sounds bad. (laughs) I mean, there's going to be a lot going on. We're going back into Scottish history, so, and it's like. You told me it was old case, so. Yeah. Medieval? (laughs) So that's going to get pretty, pretty bloody. Yeah. Um. Maybe even sound a little familiar. We're going to go in the way, way back machine, as they say, to the mm. Black Dinner of 1440. Not the Red Wedding of whatever, whatever. No, but maybe black similar. Okay. That didn't the take black... you long to pick up that there's a similarity in the name. <laughs> it was just like... <gasps> I mean, we all know that he had to be, that Game of Thrones writer had to be inspired from some things, and he was inspired from some things from history. Okay. Maybe. Wow. I was like right on the nose. You were right (laughs) on the nose with Double Jeopardy. When you said Double Jeopardy, I was like, oh, shit, she's on to me. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen the Ashley Judd movie. (laughs) Pat made me watch it. It was good. All right. Okay, mine starts with a quote. So, uh, King James II, uh, and then it has his lifespan, 1430 to 1460, of the line of Stuarts, the son of King James I and Joan Beaufort, but succeeded his father at the age of 16 after James I was assassinated in, it says AD, but what is that now? BC, you know. I think At, so. If we try to use the secular, non-religious version. version. Yeah. Um, sorry. After James I was assassinated in 1437 in a sewer tunnel, whilst trying oh. to flee from Sir Robert Graham of Kinport and a group of conspirators. Okay. <laughs> That's from Heritage Daily. Okay. Yeah. A lot, there's a lot of assassinations and stuff. And... <laughs> those times yeah there was yeah. <laughs> okay so basically king james the first was assassinated in a sewer and now we have king james the second who uh is very young yeah and he's gonna die at age 30 i guess yeah he doesn't live yeah. very long <laughs> it's just like you know you're like 1630 to 1660 i was like oh that's short yeah 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 and he's what he's so this isn't He's seven when his dad dies, too. So Jeez, okay. Um, the regent who led the government until the king reached age of maturity was named Cersei Lannister. No. <laughs> Archibald Douglas, fifth Earl of Douglas. Archibald, good old Archie, was leader of the Black Douglases and next in line after the boy king. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Whereas the one goes, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage. I have been listening to some more of the soundtrack, and it makes me want to rewatch some of the earlier seasons anyway. Mm, yeah. You like listen to a song, it's like, oh, this one's called Coming Back to Winterfell, and I can just feel it. I'm there. <laughs> okay. The Black Douglases was another name for the Clan Douglas. An ancient and noble house of the Scottish Lowlands. Lowlands? I know we say Highlands. Anyway. <laughs> Never said it out loud before. Mm. Um, but they were a very prominent and powerful family. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, I put some hard stuff in to read because I do that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was kind of fun fact. Uh, the Scottish Gaelic translation of the low the name for the lowlands means place of the foreigner. So oh, yeah. It said like it was just Wikipedia said the lowlands in Scots Lawlands or Lawlands and then Scottish Gaelic something that I don't know how to pronounce and gives you something that doesn't tell you really how to pronounce it. Fine. <laughs> um, Love those. But that's yeah, that's the one that translates to place of the foreigners. Mm. And it's a cultural and historical region of Scotland. Uh, top half, bottom half, basically. It says, culturally, mm. the lowlands and the highlands diverged from the late Middle Ages into the modern period when the lowland Scots replaced Scottish Gaelic throughout most of the lowlands. So they totally separated and even ended up, you know, with more of a separate dialect. Yeah, I've heard of that before. Lots of... Lots of... Fighting, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> people are like, oh, you're from this region, and we're from this region, and we'll look down our nose at you. <laughs> they have that in, like, Ireland and stuff, don't too, don't they? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I love our Scottish... Uh listeners i feel like they're you know celtic peoples very cantankerous so you know i think we can get a little hot under the collar if you got that <laughs> irish yeah. scottish blood um ah, they don't have a podcast anymore but one of the first people that reached out when we first had our podcast instagram was um from the salty speculation podcast that is no longer but he's from scotland he was just very sweet and oh know, yeah kidding me to introducing me to some other podcasts on there and stuff like that so very nice people in my experience too <laughs> with a very bloody history <laughs> yeah um and the douglas clan was huge the douglas clan leaders spread out into lands all over oh i wrote this wrong sorry the Douglas clan leaders spread out into lands all over Scotland, quote, throughout the borders, Angus, Lothian, Moray, and even into France and Sweden, end quote. Mm. Um, many considered their power and influence as not only a threat to rival families, but to the throne as well. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, if you got money and influence and millions of children <laughs> yeah you just invade right oh god yep <laughs> did a lot of that i think their clan motto is 
jamais arrière because it's French for some reason. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say it. <laughs> it means never behind. I don't ask me why it's French. I know the Fraser's motto is also French. That's not just that's true. They they mentioned it in Outlander, but it's it's actually true. The Fraser's motto is "Je suis prêt," which means uh, "always ready" or "I am ready." I'm ready. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think they might have some overlap in the family's history or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just thought they were kind of interesting. The Douglas clan. I have a little bit more. The first one to get called the Black, because they're called the Black Douglases, was quote the good Sir James Douglas or Douglas the Black. He hung out with Robert the Bruce, which we learned about in my other Scottish segment. Oh, okay, I was like, that sounds familiar. Why do I know? Because, well, he's a big fighter in their history. And then he had mm. the, he sat in the cave and watched the spider and he thought, oh, try, try uh, again. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So he fought with Robert the Bruce and learned some valuable lessons during some of their defeats. Like how to employ guerrilla warfare tactics. Oh, fun. Guerrilla. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> the other kind of gorilla. The one that's always been a funny name sounding to me. But like. Yeah. They have a little, they had a little quote about it. Um, <clears throat> about how there was fighting. By the time the fighting flared up again in the spring of 1307. They had learned the value of guerrilla warfare, known at that at the time as secret war, using fast-moving, lightly equipped and agile forces to maximum effect against an enemy often dependent on static defensive positions. Hmm, um, yeah. Which kind of is interesting because it's like a little bit more stealthy than like a big yeah. massive army hmm. can, has, can be. You have to like hold the top of like a hill or something like that and holds your ground you can be at a disadvantage yeah one battle I read about it was like I think they just climbed up the side of a cliff to take the surprise and take the high ground oh, wow. it's like whoa something you wouldn't expect yeah that wild yeah so those are the Douglas dudes that Archibald hailed from but then so he's the regent the boy king is growing up and then he went and died in 1439 and threw the power balance all out of whack again yeah come on dude i can't remember how he died oh he's probably killed from some illness or someone took him out i can't <laughs> i can't say yeah that's what most <laughs> of the deaths were Right. Poisoned or assassinated some other way or infected toenail that Oh god. Yeah. Sorry, I just had like a flashback to when I was in travel and this lady told me kind of the horror story about how her husband was in the hospital in the States and he was doing fine, but then I think literally some infected toenail like ended up giving him gangrene and it just took a turn for the worse and he died and I just had a weird flashback to that. and I was like oh shit that stuff can still 
Yeah. If you're not careful, shit can still happen. If it gets in your blood or your bones or anything yeah. like that, you're basically done. Like Yeah, blood poisoning or yeah. sepsis. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry about that. <laughs> to traumatize you guys too. <laughs> okay, so then at this time they have kind of three guys sharing the power. Um They're all fun. <laughs> yeah unofficially whatever william crichton first lord crichton and lord chancellor of scotland sir alexander livingston of calendar and james douglas earl of avondale sorry so fancy (laughs) yeah i've heard of avondale right that sounds familiar that's where they think of shakespeare anyway um apparently the queen mother uh, like the boy king's mom, Joan Buford, also was kind of had her hat in the ring. Probably she's there too, <laughs> maybe <laughs> trying to get any power that anyone will leave over for her. Yeah. So these men invite some other Douglases over to party, <laughs> or to have have a lovely little dinner with the boy king James to sup with him. I did put sub at one point. <laughs> I love it. it. Okay, it might be in my next sentence. <laughs> they invited 16-year-old William Douglas, 6th Earl of Douglas, that's hard to say, and his younger brother David to Edinburgh Castle to sup with the king. Yay! And that sounded British, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, once seated and ready to eat all their subtly suckling pig or roast pheasant biff roast biff roast <laughs> gotta riff you gotta biff that roast till it's medium rare <laughs> so terrible oh god we'll never live Protect that down the biff roast, roast. <laughs> no not the biff roast I need Okay, once they're ready to eat, they are presented with a plate in front of them that simply had a black black bull's head on it. Oh! This was placed before William, and it was a sign that death was coming. Okay. Give them a warning. That's ballsy. That's how the story goes, anyway. Hopefully they were, well, according to the legends, they were dragged out and up to the top of Castle Hill, where they were either put through a mock trial or just executed. Probably just just executed. executed. Yeah. Basically, the main account that we originally learned it all from was called, uh, oh God, the Akinlek Chronicle. Unless Mm. that's Gaelic, in which maybe the pronunciation is something completely different. But it lacks any real details on the tragic end of the boys. Simply saying that they were, quote, put to deed. Deed. It's like D-E-I-D. It's like when I see them write the Scottish and they're saying head. Like, you dumb head, you clot head. And it's like, you clot heed. And I'm like, oh, it's Scots. (laughs) That's how it would sound with their little accent. I love it. Um, so yeah, they were killed, 
Some way or another, other accounts throughout the years have either speculated or embellished saying that they were like put through the trial, accused and convicted of speaking treason against the king, then beheaded on the spot as they pled for their lives. Hmm. So we'll never really know the details, probably, but yeah. Suffice to say, it was horrific. Mm-hmm. But if this was an attempt to bring down the Douglas family, it didn't really seem to work. Um, it didn't stop the Douglases from taking up many positions in the Scottish court and holding like government jobs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm like, there's still more to the family. <laughs> oh, yeah. They just killed a couple of boys, basically. Um, so what was the real motive? Well, when Archibald Douglas had died, it not only took away the boy king's regent, but also left the Douglas clan, because he was the regent to the king, yeah. but he was also the head of the Douglas clan at the time. So oh, okay. that left the very young, very vulnerable heir, the 15-year-old William Douglas, so that's who they now just he's in killed. charge. Well, that's who they just offed. He was oh. heir to all their lands and wealth of the Douglas clan. And he and his younger brother have just been killed. And yeah, it's just like, ah, they were so young. Why? Exactly. They're like, the theory is if you were killing off your rivals, why kill the two young heirs? which only left their great-uncle James of Avondale as the patriarch and leader of the clan. So, hmm. some think it was James himself. Yeah, I was gonna say, he's in the pocket of the other side. Kind of stands to reason, like, he's the one that has the most to gain. Yeah. He's gonna be the head of the clan. Uh, also, just gonna put this out there his nickname was james the gross because he was obese so that's Aww. not super great or nice but that's what they called him um and he was actually in an alliance with the first william we talked about william Crichton. Mm -hmm. the three guys that were sharing the power him and william and that other dude um <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah looking after the boy king and uh so this was in the same year uh this quote i found by 1440 their grouping had secured ascendancy by kidnapping and imprisoning the young james the <laughs> second so that happened also as well apparently which i didn't find Jeez. much more on but basically i was like so james douglas went from helping manage manage the douglas clan estates because you got to have like a laird which is like a scottish lord to look after the the castle the farmers yeah. whatever all your 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 people your village people village people um then he went to clan leader then he went to kidnapping the king <laughs> yeah of time Hello, Gordo. Yeah, he just woke up. Now he's cleaning behind his ear. It's so dirty. Got so dirty while he's... Like, How did it get so dirty? <laughs> keep, keep behind my ears, don't worry. 
Um, yeah. Yes, Mom. <laughs> so maybe the boys were either killed to keep them from somehow threatening the Crichton-Avondale alliance or to get the actual lands that the nephews technically held. Mm. Who knows, but they clearly had some aspirations. <laughs> Gordo tail. <laughs> You, you're something else tonight. Oh. <laughs> now he's staring at you wanting your attention. <laughs> or he's, well, he does it in more of a distracting way. Yeah. That's, Fenrir has a tactic where he goes and sits right in front of the TV and stares at Pat, too. <laughs> if he's really ready to go for a you-know-what. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and then also extremely suspiciously, James Douglas did nothing to avenge the murders of his nephews, his great nephews, which mm. I just noted as a Scot and a man of those times. Yeah, it was yeah, very unusual. Weird. Jamie, freaking Fraser would never let that happen. I almost said yeah. Jamie Lannister. I'm stuck in Game of Thrones now. <laughs> My fandoms are mixing. I'm confused. <laughs> what is this? A crossover? <laughs> Where am I? What year is this? Um, stories were even spread. Like, there's like rumors basically trying to make the murder seem somehow justified, saying things that like William was a threat and destabilizing the realm. He was a loose cannon. Oh, um, yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, this 16-year-old boy. Uh, as for James Douglas, I don't know exactly what happened after he kidnapped the king, but I do know he died not too long after this. Hmm. Um, in 1443, actually. He died on March 24th, 1443, in Abercorn Castle, West Lothian, Scotland. He was 72 years old. Oh, that's a long time. We don't know. What? How old was he when he kidnapped the king? Well, that was in 1440. So he must have been 69. Oh, okay. So he was old then. Everybody that was dying is very young, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then... Oh, just the rest of that quote from Genealogy Online. He's buried... In the year 1443, in St. Bride's Kirk, Douglas, Lanarkshire, Scotland. Does sound very Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't the end of the revenge taking. Oh, no. In 1452, when James was but a 22-year-old king, he invited William Douglas, 8th Earl of Douglas, to Stirling Castle and promised him it was safe to come, only for a little dinner. Yay! Sounds great. Oh, sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but he betrays William. He accused the Earl of Douglas, William, the Earl of Douglas, of conspiring with John Macdonald and Alexander Lin Lindsay. Because why not throw some more names in there? <laughs> I was like, I'm ready, half lost. How am I gonna? I'm not surprised. It's, there's a lot going on here. A lot of Douglases. Um, yeah. <laughs> He drew his dagger, Dirk, they sometimes call it, and he stabbed the Earl 26 times. Oh, jeez. Okay. I know. 
And so he died. Uh, which like, you're already king. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and from dundeescottishculture.org, quote, after an intermittent civil war between the crown and the Douglas clan, the Parliament of Scotland declared the Douglas lands forfeit and permanently annexed them to the crown, along with many other lands, finances, and castles. Jeez. Okay. So now they're just done as a clan. Right. Mm. You just, own like, nothing. Stomp them down. Yeah. Just kind of sounds like what the British did to the Scottish after the the wars of the Stuarts. <laughs> um, and my final quote on this is the black dinner and the massacre of Glencoe in 1692 would later serve as the inspiration for the red wedding in George R. R. Martin's a song of <laughs> so ice I, and fire. Series. I, sorry. I spoiled it right off the bat. You got like <laughs> two sentences in. I was like, red wedding. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like keep it a secret, but like, I think it's going to be pretty pretty obvious what it's yeah what it's the inspiration for um and if you are curious about the massacre of glencoe the other part of the inspiration although mm. i didn't write any notes on it i had a little book that that uh i have about scotland that had a little story about it <laughs> oh i did yeah, because we're not, we're we're only thirty five in to my part. My yeah. God, <laughs> yeah, this um, is the would be the shortest you'd ever had. I and I mean it's you, you don't get a lot more details when it's historical yeah. unless you start falling into the rabbit holes of. Well, I kind of did with the clan and talking about yeah some yeah. of that stuff like how they are. Um, but this was from, it's not an Outlander series book, but it's adjacent to Outlander. <laughs> it's called The Clanlands Almanac. So kind of like, you know, if there's a farmers have an almanac that like yeah. helps them kind of know about, I don't know, how the coming year's going to be or whatever the hell. This one was all about different um, significant dates like they, they went each month and they did significant dates in history in scotland and different oh, okay. battles yeah right. and then like every month they'd be like whiskey of the month or like just different things it's cute um so yeah it was a really fun read pat got it for me for christmas so <laughs> nice i enjoyed it and it had a little section on uh from february the battle of the month was the glencoe massacre um Ooh, it was almost a St. Valentine's Day massacre because it happened on the 13th of February, 1692. Um, so, uh, oh, and it's this one is one of the books written by the two of the guys from Outlander, too. Graham McTavish oh, okay. and Sam Hewen, who plays Jamie and who plays Dougal. Okay, so Graham says... More of an attempted genocide than a battle. For those of you who've read Clanlands, which I haven't, it's their other book, the Glencoe Massacre is one of the standout familiar stories to even non-Scots. The brutal slaying of innocent McDonald's at the hands of the evil Campbells in the middle of the night. 
evil camels. <laughs> camels camel soup. chicken soup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, while we have previously shown that there were very few Campbells actually involved in the massacre, exactly how far did the reach of the Campbells go in the events leading up to that infamous February night? To understand what led to it, we need to widen our view of the time in question. The emerging kingdom of England, Ireland, and Scotland didn't want a Catholic king. Unfortunately, the current monarch, James II, different James II, <laughs> Yeah, 200 years later. <laughs> it's all the, had, like, Bible names, everything like that. Exactly. Yeah. And there was a James II we talked about in the witches one. And I was like, oh, he was king of Scotland and Ireland. Whatever. I got very confused also. <laughs> yeah. That might be this guy. Um, They didn't want a Catholic king. Unfortunately, the current monarch, James II, was showing increasing signs of a fondness for burning incense and Latin, i.e. being Catholic. <laughs> the last straw came when he insisted his son and heir go full papal, and given that the country had literally spent generations fighting against the man in the big pointy hat in Rome, this did not go down well. The solution? Well, invasion, of course. William of Orange... Who happened oh, to be Charles? I know it's a real guy, William of Orange. <laughs> Where is Orange? Um, who happened to be Charles the First's grandson? I hope you're keeping up. No, we're not. <laughs> Hopped across the North Sea and took the crown. This would be a little like, oh God, you shouldn't say that. He said this would be a little like Harry and Meghan launching an invasion from Hollywood to snatch the crown from the aged hands of Queen Liz. Oh, God. Oh, no, she's dead now. She did. Rest her soul. Um, <laughs> James fled to the continent, but crafty old William was married to James's Protestant daughter. Fled to the continent. That must mean America. Mm, yeah. Uh, Protestant's daughter, Mary, and made her co-regent. He says, I know, I know, it's fiendishly complicated. Put simply, William took the opportunity, James went into exile, and Britain remained very, very Protestant. Meanwhile, in Scotland, many were loyal to James because he was of Scottish descent. He may never have spent any time there, probably hated whiskey, and couldn't speak Gaelic, but that didn't matter to the clans. He's one of us, they bellowed. Except some of the clans could see who was likely to be the winning team. Not me. <laughs> uh, enter John Campbell of Breedlebane? Breedlebane? I'm not too sure about that. It's, it's a weird one. Um, he could see that William was probably the horse worth backing, but he hedged his bets and supported James as well. Hence Campbell's nickname, Slippery John. <laughs> Uh, Breadbane's plan was to prove he was more loyal than Slippery by bringing the clan chiefs together to pledge allegiance to William. But it was going to take cash. Lots of it. He persuaded the government to give him £12,000 for each clan chief. A fortune. So Slippery John organized a big old meetup of the chiefs at Acaladder Castle on 30th of June, 1691. I don't know. 
know if I'm saying that right. I am sorry. Come to Ackaladder. That can't be it. <laughs> um, I've got a proposal for use, and I've also got stacks of cash. <laughs> they wrote use. Present at the meeting was Alexer, Alistair McIan, chief of the McDonald's of Glencoe. To put it bluntly, McIan was on the bones of his arse. He was broke, resorting to that old Scottish pastime of stealing cattle from his neighbors. Boo. <laughs> Leave those cows alone. Also, when I was editing last week's and we were talking about invisible cows and then you said something about cataloging and I was like, <laughs> cataloging in my head. <laughs> but we I cannot even remember. It. Yeah. Yeah. We, we I don't think you meant it as like a pun, but I took it oh. as one. <laughs> um oops. Stealing cattle from his neighbors. These neighbors included John Campbell, who was not happy about this, not in the slightest. So he reminded McKeon at the meeting that he owed him money for the cattle he had stolen, far more than twelve thousand dollars. You see, slippery. McKeon was angry, not only about the cash, but also the risk. If James II returned to find the clans all cozied up with his sworn enemy, what then? So Slippery John proposed a second oath. If King James did come back, they'd tear up the oath to William. Sounds reasonable. But the clan chiefs weren't completely naive. They asked for a letter from James, giving them permission. Meanwhile, James, who was holding up for French help to mount an invasion, finally did send his permission on 12th of December. With the deadline for the oath on the 31st of December, 1691, there was plenty of time, right? Wrong. <laughs> Anyone familiar with the Postal Service will know this was a risky strategy indeed. Enter stage right. John Dalrymple, Secretary of State for Scotland. He was a lowlander who hated Highlanders, particularly those from the Lochaber region. James II's letter was intercepted by Dalrymple's spies and the continent contents sent J.D. into an apoplectic rage. He resealed the letter and sent it on its way, and on the 21st of December, it arrived in Edinburgh. From there, it had to reach remote areas of the Highlands and go from chief to chief, Glen to Glen in the middle of winter. Jeez. Not so easy on horseback. <laughs> no, I'm like, the 1600s, it's going to take forever. Right? <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> Maybe, if someone drive, if it happens to be going your way. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mr. Dalrymple sent 400 soldiers to Fort William in anticipation of the clan chiefs failing to meet the signing deadline. It's not too difficult to imagine him literally rubbing his hands with glee. On the 30th of December, Cameron of Lochiel received the letter with only 24 hours left to get it across Rannoch Moor and on to Glencoe, where McKeon was probably wearing out his leather shoes by furiously pacing up and down. <clears throat> with the deadline literally upon McKeon, there was no way he'd get to Inverary in time, so he opted for Fort William. To carry it on to, I guess. However, there he was told by the garrison commander, Colonel John Hill, he couldn't accept his oath. You'd better get going to Inverary and see Sir Colin Campbell, pal. 
So off McKeon trudged through the snow, taking three days to get to Inverary, where he was detained by soldiers in Campbell territory. Eventually, he rocked up at Campbell headquarters on the 2nd of January, no doubt panting like a racehorse, freezing his balls off and clutching the letter ready to sign. A little late. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, you're looking for Sir Colin. He's out of town for three days, so if you'll just park yourself in that Campbell Tavern, surrounded by folk who hate your guts, you can see him when he gets home. It must have been a tense few days, and I don't imagine he slept particularly well. His hands, his hand prized to his dirk, i.e. dagger. I like it when they call it a dirk. <laughs> it just makes me think of the TV show I watch called Dirk Gently's Private Detective Agency. <laughs> Dirk Gently. <laughs> like, so I get sidetracked and I'm like, oh. It's, it's like such a weird show. <laughs> well, there was also that guy Katie dated on Letter Kenny, and they're like, how come you, you don't like him, Wayne? Um, you always say it like, Dirk. <laughs> yeah. <such> derision. <laughs> You can really, you can really spit that one out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Alright, we're almost done. Colin returned. Absolutely, McKeon. Totally understand the delay. Could have happened to anyone. Just sign here and we are all good. Phew, I hear you say. The signed oaths were all sent to Edinburgh. Colonel Hill even sent a letter to McKeon stating he was now under protection of the Fort William Garrison. Happy days. very confused there's not a massacre happening okay <laughs> I read this a while ago <laughs> um, the package oh yeah here we go the package arrived with the Privy Council in Edinburgh but inside was a wee note from the local sheriff wondering if McKean's signature should be counted just asking there were quite a few powerful Campbell lawyers on the council they looked at the packet of oaths, looked at McKeon's, looked at the sheriff's note and said, nah, I don't think we can count that one. So five days after McKeon had signed the oath, Dalrymple received a letter saying that McKeon's name had been struck from the list due to a technical fault. More gleeful hand rubbing ensued and the rest, as they say, is history. 30 McDonald's slaughtered in the snow at Glencoe. So, was it the Campbells? Yes and no. Sir Colin, Slippery John, accepted the signature. The lawyers didn't. Who knows what other shenanigans took place along the way. There were plenty of other clans, Camerons, Glengarry, who wouldn't be sad to see McKeon of Glencoe taken out of the equation. We shall never know. But if your name is Dalrymple, just saying. And the moral, post your letters early in winter, and when the letter does arrive, run. What? <laughs> the letter arrives, So that you run. get it there in time, and oh. don't get killed on a technicality, I guess. I'm sorry. I remember that one being confusing when I first read it, but <laughs> I, thought, I thought maybe we could figure it out better together. Their whole no, history. Too many names. Too many names. <laughs> it's it, it's always like you know, the slightest things and they'll come to blows. It's like yeah. this one's 
well, we almost got your name on the list of what good guys, but then at the last minute, nah, we think it doesn't count, and everyone gets slaughtered. It's just so I don't know what's the word meaningless. <laughs> They just like to fight sometimes, you think, it seems like. And that's why Highlanders did have a reputation for being pretty, you know, bloodthirsty. <laughs> so yeah. Maybe they Any just need excuse. an excuse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, go watch Outlander. I love Scotland. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> well, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. and. Yeah. Next week we are diving back into folklore. It's probably creatures <laughs> and stuff again, but we're doing a oh, yeah. Irish an Irish jig. <laughs> For uh, St. Patrick's Day coming up. Yes. Yes. Fuck yes. Next week it's St. Patrick's Day. Next week. No. The week after. I'm doing it again. <laughs> this comes out on the 10th. The 10th. That's right. So happy birthday to me this week and happy birthday to all the rest of you March babies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're excited to go back to Ireland. I didn't don't think we've done anything there since you did a, a haunted castle there. <laughs> yeah, it's been a really long time. Really long. So, we hope you like the Celtic content this month. Yeah. Castles and cryptids. <laughs> CCCC. Yeah. CCTV. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, we'll catch you next week. Yes. Bye. Don't forget to rate, review, tell a friend, and keep it cryptic. (laughs) Patreon! has been castles and cryptids you can listen to our podcast on spotify apple podcast google podcast anchor breaker pocket cast and our youtube channel please rate review and subscribe wherever you listen follow us on instagram facebook and reddit on our website you can listen to all of our episodes as well as view pictures for each of our segments Check out our Patreon page to view all of our tiers and become a Patreon supporter today to unlock monthly bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes content. We are working on an Ask Us Anything. You can submit questions by social media or by email at castlesencryptids at gmail.com. Do you have a spooky ghost story, a creepy cryptid sighting, or a thrilling true crime tale you would like to share and have us include in a future episode? Send us your listener story by social media or by email please include the name that you would like mentioned. Our music is by Kobe Fair. Our logo and artwork is by Antonio Garcia. Thanks for listening!